0: Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing, with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Ants, self pres dominant, social, sexual blind, 3 wing 2, with 371 TriFix and ENFP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back, everyone. I am very excited to have our first Point 8 on the podcast. Um, Chris is somebody that I met through an online community, and she is a newer student to the Enneagram. She discovered it a couple of years ago, and she happens to be a minister um, in Texas. And she was willing to come on and speak with me a little bit about her... Journey as a type eight, and she's newer to the instincts as well. So, I think that this will be a great episode for anybody that is interested in figuring out how we do start to figure out what an instinctual stack might be. So, this episode ended up being pretty long. Uh, Not surprising, take two assertive types and put them in a room, and a lot of conversation can happen. I think that we uncovered a lot of great things that will really help people's learning, and I wanted to start off by just doing a summary of the point eight structure for people who may be newer to the Enneagram, and I think that you'll pick up on a lot of this from Chris as you're listening to her speak. So the first thing that I wanted to name was that eights really want to have something real, You'll hear Chris share about her recovery journey and about how um, AA was a really great container because, you know, they don't really want like a mealy-mouthed approach. There needs to be something that's going to be strong, but also love. And, you know, that loving strength is something that I think we really uh, see eights uh, really leaning into. One of the things that I love about eights is that they are sometimes called the challenger. And the reason that we call them that is because they just don't believe that anything isn't possible. They really love a challenge. They won't keel over when there's obstacles. And if you know an eight that's at a more average level, you may notice that they can be a little bossy. They don't necessarily know their exact impact. Um, They think they're just... Speaking normally, and the rest of the world can sometimes feel like it's a lot of big energy. So the passion of point eight is lust. And what we mean by that is that sometimes there's an excessiveness or a tendency to overdo things. And eights have a lot of tension and resistance. And so you there's sort of a sense of forcing whatever it is that they're coming into being with. Sometimes we see that. Aids can get physical health problems because they drive themselves intensely, and they can sometimes wear out their nervous systems as a young age. And Aids are part of the gut triad. Um, Sometimes this is called an anger management system. And the way that anger shows up in an eight is that they externalize it. So um, one of the things that we're working with with anger is how to bring it to presence. So eights can be very good at communicating about their anger, but they're not so good at dealing with hurt. And if an eight does start to feel hurt, they tend to immediately go to anger because the underlying fear of a point eight is that they will be weak. So coming back with anger feels like a sort of empowerment where they can reclaim their hurt and vulnerability. So if you know a point eight, it's important to know that they are very sensitive to rejection. They've often grown up in a world where they've been told that they're too much or they feel like people don't like them or that they carry some sort of badness or wrongness inside of themselves. So when someone is kind to the point eight, it can really be a big deal and even a turning point in their development. The reason that point eights dive into life with such force and gusto is because there can be this sort of inner deadening, and they don't often have a lot of room for subtlety. They want to just know how it is, what your agenda is, whatever you're going to say. And when they're presented with sensitivity, this can actually be a real trigger because they often are not very sensitive with themselves. The primary defense mechanism of point eight is denial. You may see points eights who deny facts, truths, or anything that doesn't suit their version of reality. And they often have an idea that they have been wronged in some way. And when they settle the score, it has sort of that biblical eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of uh, mentality. So justice is a key word through their lens which um, even though they feel like it's justice and justice is very important to them we have to understand that sometimes eights can have some delusion in this domain so as we launch into this interview with a type 3 and a type 8 I'm just going to ask you to notice right from the beginning how two assertive types just jump right in and navigate how we're gonna handle airtime with each other. You can notice how there's that point eight who will take command and I really appreciate it because it also helps to keep me on track. And I just want you to notice as you listen to Chris talk, notice the leadership roles she's taken on, notice her value around the world practical and she's going to give us some examples of how her point eight structure has shown up, what disintegration at point eight, as well as health looks like. You'll also hear in this episode that we talk a little bit about Myers-Briggs. Um, Chris is also an ENFP. Um, we'll get to see how hard Uh, Boring routines can be for ENFPs and you'll see me start speaking from my own ENTP pattern and how I just love uh, Doing the introverted intuition thing and pulling together all of these patterns on how Chris has been living her life and how this really does give us a great look at the point eight structure and how as we become aware of our own sensitivities, that we really are able to reclaim our power of a choice. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Chris. Hi, friend. This is so fun. This is like random and awesome. And I'm just really grateful that you're doing this with me.
1: Yeah, I'm actually really grateful too. Life has been um, very, very strange for two years. Yeah. And I'm just getting some sense of... um, finding it tolerable to um, engage in acts of service, (laughs) let's say, or even just anything. It's been a crazy two years. Yeah. Off the chart crazy.
0: Yeah. Do you want to give me a three-minute version? Like if you were to summarize it.
1: I can. So I have a 10-year-old daughter. Her name is Micah. Uh Uh-huh. Um, her other mother and I were together for 15 years, but friends for five years, or I thought we were before that. Um, long story short, the thing that became clear to me during the pandemic, because I was so happy, like, so I had closed my church on January the 31st.
0: Are you, uh, what role do you have in the church when you say my church? You're I'm the pastor. pastor. Oh, got it. I didn't know that. Awesome. Yeah. What
1: kind of church? Uh, a New Thought church. So similar to Unity. Yeah. Is what Unity city like are you in? Chicago. Um, let's see. The guy that originally established New Thought, well, Johnny Coleman established a black, she's a black woman who does the, anyway, it's a very positive practical spirituality.
0: Is it, um, like Unitarian?
1: No, okay. it's more like unity. So it has just a very positive, practical, inclusive spin on okay. scripture on, you know, there's, there's you no know Rob s- Bell. Uh, Rob Bell would be moving in the direction of the openness that my tradition has functioned in for a long time, but yeah, so yeah. he's a great example of a bridge.
0: Awesome. He's my favorite spiritual teacher. He's like doing really a great work in the yeah. world
1: because, and also it takes a tremendous amount of courage to do what he did.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because real spirituality, I mean, whether it's meditation, contemplation of nature, whatever it is, is about being current with revelation.
0: Mm, do you know what I mean? I and do. And if you're
1: leading a congregation or in any sort of leadership role, and it is revealed to you from whether it's God or your deepest self, whatever you want to call it, Gaia, yeah. I don't care. Yeah that it's time to move yeah. in a different direction, or you get a revelation about your understanding of the divine. Yeah. Um, if you are in a leadership role that requires your old theology, yeah. or your pre-revelation theology, yeah. then it, it, it's it's an act of incredible courage to follow that.
0: Oh my God. I got the chills when I heard you say that, because it's um, so true. And it's almost like those who have success, those who have been given a lot, it's like the anxiety around perpetuating that and recognizing that you might lose it all. Like Rob lost his whole church, you know, and he was put on the list of like, whatever, the top 10 people that'll send you to hell if you listen Heretics. to his teachings. Heretics, yeah.
1: They become, yeah. They become her- what they say becomes heresy. Right. But there's a great old quote, and see, don't get me started because I'm a preacher. But <laughs> I, I like
0: it, I like I've it. I've got
1: go, so much stuff. Let's take it to church. So there's an old quote by a, he was a, an Old Testament a Hebrew scholar, um, and that is, um, heresies are really sudden explosions of faith. Dead religions do not produce them.
0: Wow. Okay, so okay, I'm going to shift this into Enneagram now, okay? Tell me about your Enneagram journey. When did you discover it? When did you discover your type? What do you know about your instinctual stack? I would just love to hear where you're at with that piece of the
1: journey. Sure. Let me go back and give you the two-year recap, which is a few words. Yeah, please, please, please. Left relationship. Yeah. Ended up being a
0: narcissist. Do you know what type that person was? The person who was the narcissist?
1: Five. Okay. Only, yeah. So that I've learned, I didn't know anything about the Enneagram two years ago. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, imagine learning that your very existence is an affront unless you modulate, but you don't know that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, um, I went to the border, I went to El Paso in 2018 to do service work. and what the the result of that was another kind of PTSD, which was um, it f- caused me to have to um, examine and then learn that a lot of my experience in life can be explained as the experience of a biracial person in America. And I didn't know it. Mm, what two races um, so, are you? Well, my mother's from the Philippines, but she is um Macanese, actually. So it's Portuguese, Indian, Chinese mix. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So there's things, I mean, I've done a lot of therapy a lot of insight work. I, you know, I work in, and I teach medicine, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but you can only unlayer what you can unlayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there's a lot what of What I think you're saying
0: the- is that a lot of this is in the subconscious. Like you're saying, oh. when you say you can only unlayer what you can unlayer, sure, I'm sure. hearing that you can only unlayer what you have access to.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. And sometimes I translate like that just because these little bits, this is how people who haven't had these thoughts yet and are listening to the podcast can, so sometimes when you say something, I'll just translate it so that people listening know what we're talking about. Just in case they're not on the same...
1: Very skilled.
0: yeah very thank skilled. you <laughs> so i don't want you to think that i'm like slowing you down or interrupting your flow but i'm using like your very presence as learning for everyone so that's sure. like a gift thank
1: you yeah sure yeah i'm very teachable so you just direct me and i'll go <laughs> um it's a quality of of a good eight that you don't really want to lead but you will
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, same with, I think, as a three, like, you know, we just step into lead two. So it's kind of be fun to see this three, eight dynamic. And what I love about being with another assertive type, though, is that sometimes... I'll interrupt and I'm also okay being interrupted. Like for me, that's kind of flow, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. What's your experience of that? Does it bother you if I interrupt you if I want to ask a question? No, it doesn't. It, does, it
1: feels lively. Oh, cool. Because as long as we're playing off of each other, then yeah. we actually have a shared space of understanding. Do you know what I mean?
0: I 100% know what you it mean. Because be that's how it would be different if is. I was
1: saying something and then you made some random ass comment that went completely yeah. left. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. Hmm. And if you and this, did make really, it. I did not know you were a three. Okay. I have lost a best friend of twenty years yeah. in the last six months. Yeah. Who is a three? Yeah. Um. And he went completely unconscious. Yeah. And he is. He doesn't know his own soul any right now. He is. Yeah. Um. He is his role as senior minister of a large de- denominational flagship. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And it was uh, the the pandemic. If My understanding, and please, I mean, I do a lot of, I mean, I'm pretty insightful and I'm happy to be corrected, but my understanding of when I put myself, when I try to practice compassionate moccasin walking, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think about the core stuff of a three. Yeah. And I think about everything I know about his life in the last seven years Mm -hmm. and moving very quickly into a senior minister position in a very Rapid amount of time Mm -hmm. and the pressures of that. And then also as a three, how like what he is, is who he, the wound is that he has to perform, right? He has to Mm -hmm. be the thing, Mm -hmm. but then you get into a role where you're relatively new and a pandemic breaks out Mm -hmm. and churches close down and nobody knows what's happening and there is nothing to cling to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so- I couldn't make sense of it. And then finally I understood. Can you give an
0: example we, of a behavior you couldn't make sense of? Like what were you seeing happening that was yeah, really I can, confusing? And I need to let
1: you know that this um, best friend is also the man that my daughter calls daddy. Okay.
0: Yeah. Is that because he is the biological father or he plays no, the no, role no, no, of no, daddy? He's the only got daddy it.
1: she has. I got um, it. Okay. Thank you. And, he's, and it's a right thing despite my wanting to make it completely wrong. Um, uh-huh. So, yes, I can give you many examples. He is a, a white man in a pulpit of 700-ish mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's progressive. Mm-hmm. It's um, inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. All these things. So this past Christmas, my daughter was with her other parent. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Houston to be with my former friend. Mm-hmm. And... um I had done cut my hair off with it was a grief cut it was symbolic ritualistic yeah. I tend to use a lot of ritual okay um and and I look fabulous by the way I mean you I'm do look be, fabulous I love goddamn, that hair and I'm gonna be fucking 57 in a couple days that's amazing I love it anyway I digress I'm trying to own stuff so yeah. thanks for your patience with that of course um Anyway, so, so I was there at Christmas Eve, and because I had cut my hair, I was really feeling the whole gender bender thing. Uh-huh. So I wore a fabulous suit and more makeup than I usually wear, yeah. and went to Christmas Eve services. And I mean, every, half the people stopped me dead in my, they were like, girl. You know, just like, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was feeling it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah,
0: like your authentic self with really expressing in that moment.
1: Exactly. Yeah. End of the service, after the meet and greet, I ask Michael, to, I say, let's go take a picture in front of the Christmas tree for Micah. Mm-hmm. That's the my daughter. Yeah. And so we're walking over there, and I mentioned to him, you know, I'm like, I've got, I feel great. And after a hard first year, feeling great is a, gratitude thing you know absolutely and i'm like man this is so fun and he stops and he turns to me and he says well someone thought you were my boyfriend Mm. no no recognition of like a beautiful night after some really hard times no um nothing just i affected the way that he thinks he projects his image yeah of course I mean, it took six or eight or ten of those before I realized I had started fawning. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, can I pause you for one moment? And I just want to unpack what you just said, because I think you're highlighting something that happens with anyone in the image center when they go unconscious is they start to fixate on how am I being seen right now? And if that gets threatened, whether you're a two, a three, or a four, Mm -hmm. that's going to trigger a lot of reactivity. Just like if you're an eight, nine, or one, the core thing is around Um, Autonomy. So like if I tried to take away your freedom to do what you wanted to do, you'd probably get reactive too. Just like in a a five, six, or seven, they are really driven, you know, the underlying thing for them is security. So when you take away like what feels like there is keeping them safe, like they're going to get really triggered. So in that moment, he completely lost himself in what is my image here and just completely lost the relational aspect. Like you didn't even exist in that moment.
1: Let me give you another example. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to this. So I could regale you with stories for hours on any things I've learned from, I'm a person who learns, um, by, a, like, I grok, I feel in my yeah. body. And Instinctual almost a shamanic, center. Yeah. It's almost shamanic. It has almost a shamanic quality. It's so intensified at this point in my life. Focused. Yeah, That's awesome. So I grok a pattern. I can feel it's vibrating or it's synchronizing. I mean, I just know it. You know of what I course. mean? Of course. Well, that's the and body go, center. And then I think, because I'm older now, surely this, somebody's already thought of this. Yeah. <laughs> then I keyword it. Yeah. And then I access patterns. Oh, that wow. somebody's already laid out, and then yeah, I overlay yeah, yeah. that perspective after perspective after perspective uh-huh. to get the clearest picture I can. So yeah. I will just tell you, I am new to polyamory. And then by what do you about- do? But
0: then what do you do after you've done that? So you just told me about the reactivity, about what you do, and then what what do you try? Like, what's your north star? How do you then choose to proceed once you've gotten all your patterns and you've gotten all your information?
1: My north star is. Um, compassionate embrace.
0: Oh, okay, can I, I love what you just said, and can I tell you why? Okay, because you just highlighted the pattern of eight. So the pattern of eight, it's an <laughs> instinctual type, and you just described for us so beautifully how you just mm-hmm. like feel it in your belly. It's mm-hmm. just, I just know. But I yeah. can't necessarily explain it, tell you, like, I don't have the clarity from the head center yet, but it doesn't matter because my belly, my gut, like, like I
1: know. Right. And then I would add to that, friend, that um, my qualities over, a lot of my eight qualities are very matured, right? Well, well that's so, what I'm about
0: to point out. So give me one second because go. I want to take the listeners through what happens at eight when there's a stress. Remember, eights go to five. Mm -hmm. So when you go into research, when you Google, when you are looking at pattern after pattern, after pattern, after pattern, that's you at five because you're figuring it out and you're studying it and you're acquiring whatever knowledge and data you need to then go to your high side integration point of two. (laughs) So when I asked you, what is your North star? Mm -hmm. It's that high side of two, which is love and compassion. And so that was right. just such a beautiful example of how whatever our Enneotype is, we can use the stress arrow and the arrow of integration to just understand, of course, this is what I'm going to do. This is what works for me. How does that land with you?
1: Yes, that's absolutely true. And what's there's a couple I've got a couple of additive pieces because I, I think everything you said, you know, I vibe with it. I'm getting comfortable using that word without having to justify what I mean.
0: Oh, yeah. I I love living by vibe. Intuition. It's all about... Well, it's, a, like,
1: it, it's a very brown and a very earthy, yeah. um, but we live in a society that is infused with white supremacy culture, yes. and one of those things is the myth of objectivity. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. So you, when you tell somebody, like a five... yeah. Or, like a five with autism, who yes. is my partner's wife. Yeah. <laughs> and my partner's a two. Yeah. So yeah, we had a two, five, eight little triangle thing until I figured it out.
0: Well, and the one thing I want to name about a two, five, eight triangle is that those are three rejection types. Do you know what I mean when I talk about rejection types? Yeah. And for listeners, I'm just going to name that the two, five and eight are rejection types. The one, four and seven are frustration types and the three, six and nine are attachment types. So whenever you're looking at a relational dynamic, there's a whole bunch of different lenses we can put on. But when you just named two, five eight you know trio I'm like ooh three rejection types all doing rejection in their own individual way and I'm just gonna name the way that I've seen these types do rejection and then you can tell me if that tracks with what you guys were experiencing because typically the five is going to want to talk about what they want to talk about in their warehouse of expertise and if it's not sort of in that wheelhouse where they have lots and lots of knowledge they sort of cut off it's like you know half a person like you can only really engage with them in well, that area
1: the thing that you're describing I call sky brain okay tell me I'm more I'm gonna go away yeah and figure all of this out yes yes yeah without okay. you without you Exactly. But the yeah. thing that they can never figure out, or maybe this is a maturity, an adult development thing, yeah. is you have to look, you can't see under your own feet. You need another person for that. Yes. You yes. know what I mean?
0: Yes. And you so, know what, they don't want. And then want. they come
1: back into the situation like, hey, let me tell you all what's going on here and how you need to act differently in order. Well, okay. And she's also got autism. So you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what missing frequencies are there and the right. certainty of rightness? Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's.
0: Well, it can be crazy. very painful because we know that fives have a tendency to not bring the heart into what's going on. There's all of this thinking, 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 and, you know, they really can be very logical and what they say may objectively make sense. And yet there's this whole other domain that if a five has not learned how to go into emotion, both theirs and yours, and bring that in as a data piece and know how to work with that, there's going to be a huge part missing and you're not going to really be able to connect because there's no heart in it.
1: Right. And this particular five, and I don't know enough about the Enneagram to know if this, although it kind of vibes as a characteristic, is um, change resistant.
0: Mm-hmm. Because once they're right and it fits into their structure, if you turn their structure upside down, it's like you're turning their entire world upside down because their entire world is based upon the facts that they have collected.
1: Exactly. And then you get the the phenomenon that are typical of of, of autism spectrum stuff like perseverance, uh-huh. you know, this, this latching onto something and utterly fixating on it as yeah. if the entire continuation of a cycle depends on that, the correct answer to that question.
0: So I'm going to bring up something. Do you know Dan Siegel? His work is also really powerful for me. Do you know Dan Siegel? Yes. Yeah. So he has a model where he shows us the banks of a river and on one bank is rigidity and on the other side is chaos. And we really don't want to be too rigid. Or too chaotic, because then we're not in flow, like in the right. river. So it sounds right. like this five that you're describing really struggled with getting locked in rigidity and couldn't um, open up to other perspectives and other possibilities.
1: Yeah, the compassionate and succinct way to say it um, is that she's stuck in her type structure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So one of the, like I've done some a little bit of work with Leslie Hirschberger. Okay. And she, she's body centers. Uh huh. Um, but really, it's a she's her work has really tilted in the direction of somatic. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think many, if you look, like if you cross paradigms, you will see that somatics, because we're in a mass trauma right now. Yes. If we don't get into our own nervous systems, we yes. are doomed.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I, mean, I think just, that's, yeah. Like the polyvagal theory, I think is really bringing a lot of that in, and there's an amazing book called *The Body Keeps the Score*, which you're probably familiar with, with I think von Kessel. His yeah, and actually,
1: do you know he's doing a uh, he's doing a a nine day trauma free trauma summit right now.
0: That's amazing. Well, Five have to, to six
1: speakers a day today is racialized trauma. Oh, and the wow. talks are available for 48 hours. Anyway, I digress.
0: But you know what? This will come out on Sunday. So um, maybe the recordings will still be available somewhere for purchase if people wanted to go back and, and hear yeah, them. Yeah, the
1: purchase price they were asking was like $198 for, in you know, for yeah. forever access. Yeah. And there are 45 speakers. That's so amazing. Yeah. That's so a, that's probably a great resource if you hear two that, that, you know, that pop something open for you, you just, the therapeutic value is there. Yeah. You know Absolutely. What I mean?
0: Is Gabor Mate um, involved? Is he one of the speakers as well?
1: Anyway, there's, I have a lot of ancillary dynamics that have, because I learn what's in front of me and then I do the healthy, now it's a healthy five thing back when I was not a mature human being and. Had a lot of, I mean, I had 20 years of therapy starting at 19.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So you really have been working at this for a long time. How old are you now? I'm, I'll be 57. Wow. So you've got like 40 years of learning I'm about 20, yourself.
1: Almost. 24 years sober.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And if you
1: want to know how to, if you ever want to say, well, hey, you want to eight, if you want to move toward two the hard way. Yeah. Go to AA. <laughs> yeah kick your ass yeah yeah you know what I
0: mean? yeah well and, and I it think, was the
1: best thing that ever happened to me
0: that's awesome because you know there's something about working with eights in that they need something to finally bring them to their knees and call them out on their bullshit because eights until they get to that point can just keep on doing what they're doing and it can be very hard to stop the train that's barreling down the track what does that track
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think the screen froze when I was about to tell you that my ACE score is seven.
0: Yeah. So you've had a lot of trauma. And for a A score, just for listeners, that's the um, childhood trauma experience. Childhood experiences. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you had a lot of trauma, and so we know that people with all of this trauma have a much higher risk of addiction and a lot of other disorganized attachment type behaviors. And so you really your life depended on it. Like you had to start therapy and had to start AA and had to start your growth journey because your life depended on it. And so for anybody who's feeling really lost, really traumatized, really confused, I think that all of these modalities are so important to know that there are ways to heal and to get help and support. And AA can be a wonderful place when you really need that external structure and some boundaries and some brutal honesty is what I think I hear you saying and love and love
1: yeah a it, loving it container fundamentally i would as an aide i never would have allowed in the brutal honesty had i not felt so deeply understood yeah do you know yeah i do because like, you know when people oh. are saying things that you have in your head then that's a polyvagal regulating the whole experience of aa done well is a polyvagal bath Frankly. Yeah.
0: Well, this trauma happens in relationship and it has to heal in relationship.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. People don't really get that, do they, friend? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, are you familiar with Sarah Payton's work?
1: I do not know her
0: work. Well, you would love her work. She's also on several of these trauma summits, and I'm in her resonant healing program, and Mm -hmm. it's all about using time travel, constellation work, dissolving of unconscious contracts that were made to keep us safe when we were experiencing traumatic events, Mm -hmm. and then learning how to recognize when we get triggered into like a trauma bubble, because something that just was said, heard, smelled, felt, thought just Mm -hmm. sort of took us back to a place for a moment. And what I heard you say when you were saying, now I know how to use the high side of five, because that's what I think is really important. We used to say that there was a stress arrow and an arrow of integration, and that is true, but we can go to the high or low side of both of our arrows. So it's just, what I'm hearing is that a lot of eights when they're not healthy can go to the low side of five, which is a very withdrawn, reclusive conspiracy theory, like, let me just spin here alone in my anger, alone with my thoughts. And that's where eights can sometimes fall into like vengeance or their antisocial part of the personality at the Mm -hmm. low levels of health. (laughs) But if you go to five during stress on the high side of five and you use it for information gathering without the dissociative properties, that can actually be a great strategy for an eight.
1: Yes, there's a fundamental question that has to occur and I'm really good at synthesizing sometimes. So, Mm -hmm. and the question is... Am I using my brain or is my brain using me? Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's that. the yeah. bottom line. Yeah. If I say, oh, I'm going to think about this, yeah, and then I think about it or pattern or do whatever, and then I come back into the world of reality... Yes. I have used my mind effectively.
0: And what I'm hearing you say is that we all have a head center, a heart center, and a body center, regardless of which Enneagram point that we're coming from. And what I think I hear you saying is that when you sense something in the body that is disturbing you know how to ground yourself how to come to presence how to stay integrated so that you can go to your head center and find the clarity while keeping the heart online so it's like when all three centers are in alignment we can access what each one needs to tell us and it sounds right. like that's just how you get to five in that beautiful yeah. head center. And, way. Then,
1: and then real quick just for your files here's an example of how the pattern uses me and mm-hmm. okay so A narcissistic abuse situation is a trauma bond. Mm -hmm. A trauma bond for a person with high intrapersonal awareness, like I have, Mm -hmm. (laughs) has to be so deeply unconscious that I missed it. Mm -hmm. So in my case, what happened is my daughter, I cut the cord on that child five weeks before she was supposed to show up Mm -hmm. and she was a little brown baby. Mm -hmm. And at that moment I went unconscious because my mixed race stuff, my Mm -hmm. intergenerational stuff, it all flew up. Okay. My mom's from the Philippines and she came to the South in 1952. Okay. (laughs) So you can imagine. Yeah. The most empathic child, and in my case, I'm the youngest female, Mm -hmm. uh, gets the dump, gets the intergenerational dump, dump, which from research we know can last up to 13 generations so far. Wow. Anyway, I went deeply unconscious and I was just going to fucking do the right thing. So I was just the doing eight. Mm-hmm. But then as the abuse of me got worse, mm-hmm. the ways, that, and I'm still trying to function, Yeah, I retreated to my head. I was completely out of my body for mm-hmm. the better part of a decade. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened and I planted a garden and I planted things and built a, a stock tank swimming tool, pool and sweated my ass off every day in the Texas heat. And I came slamming back into my body from a very long absence.
0: Now, let me ask you this question. What did it look like to be in your head and not in your body for that decade? What kind of behaviors do you regret that manifested from
1: that? Well, there's good, you know, that's, that may be another 10 years to unpack really and truly, because mm-hmm. this has been a major pivotal life event for me. Yeah. I think you asked what were the behaviors. Did yeah, I? Yeah, like
0: how did you know? Like you said that because of the trauma, you left your body and spent a decade living from your head disconnected from your body. Is that
1: what you said? Yes. Okay. So I'm being actively, verbally um, cut down on a daily basis. Uh-huh. I'm having my ADHD used as evidence that I'm stupid and okay. that being inferred or implied on a very, right. all these things. Okay. Do you know what? like a sane eight would do in that situation. They would get angry uh, and attack them out.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Where Reject was it. that? My capacity uh. to self-protect disappeared because I didn't even know I was in danger. Interesting. I was so goddamn focused on doing, doing, doing the ministry and doing, doing, doing the momming. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that somebody, I was dying of death by a thousand cuts. So it almost sounds like. And I'm an al- eight. Yeah. Nobody even gets in my back door with an a score of seven.
0: Yeah. So it almost sounds like, like some gaslighting was happening. Like you were believing well, what this person was telling you, even though it wasn't true. And so since you believed it, you were working so hard to change it.
1: But I couldn't have told you that I believed it.
0: Right? You could have told me, but you were unconsciously. Is that what you're yes. saying? Un- yeah.
1: Deeply, deeply repressed. Because, right. but here's the thing. Those ideas, remember, I spent 20 years filling the trenches of my brain of that stuff. Yeah. Learning new ways to be in the world. Right, right. Right? Well, while I'm off doing other things, mm-hmm. those trenches are being shoveled out. So they, are, they match with the original wounds. right. Right, And so it doubles down. Does that uh-huh. make sense? And so I am deep, 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 deep unconscious.
0: Yeah. When you're asking me, does it make sense? Like I, I'm tracking with you here and the way that things work in my mind is that how does it follow the map? And so what I'm hearing is that you were almost like an unhealthy five disconnected from the body because we know that fives get healthy by getting into the body. And it sounds like you're an eight that actually went to five and was very disconnected for your body. So it was almost like you shunted. Sometimes Russ Hudson will use this word that we actually don't look like our type structure in some ways because there's Mm -hmm. so much stress that we almost go to our stress point and we might look like that for a while. But then when we start to heal we use some of the same strategies, which for you sounded like physical work, getting in the body, doing your garden, doing your pool.
1: And I walked, remember I had closed, I closed a church. I had been managing a small church for 10 years, including all the pieces and parts that my ADHD brain cannot do. Yeah, I was exhausted in a way that I'm still not recovered from.
0: I call that Eucharist tired. I got that from Rob Bell. He says it's body (laughs) broken, blood poured out, Eucharist tired.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it was was getting back into my body. It was getting away from the things that are anxiety producing for not only a human being, but there are certain factors or patterns you deal with as a person that's neurodivergent. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that every little daily thing can be a source of anxiety. And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to punch through a bunch of things that are not my strong suits and I'm trying to punch through them anyway. I mean, when I say I did an eight thing and I became a human doing instead of a human being.
0: Right, 100%.
1: And I'm curious, do you know your Myers-Briggs type? ENFP all the way, classic. Yeah. Can't get away from it. Although I appeared as an INFP until sobriety.
0: Okay. I was sensing that because I think that ENFPs think they have ADHD all the time. And I'm not saying you don't. Maybe, you know, pe- pe- I'm, a, I'm an internal medicine doctor. I have people coming in saying, I, I think I have ADHD. Can I have medication for this? And I think it's just important to name that an ENFP and, you know, there are certain gifts that don't necessarily track with what... We need to do the operational side of the world as we live in. And so when we put ourselves in an environment where you take an ENFP and you make them do operations and logistics, which is kind of the tactical boots on the ground kind of thing, if their mind doesn't get a chance to lean into extroverted intuition and introverted feeling, which are the two superpowers of the ENFP, of course your life force is going to disappear. And of course you're going to get tired and all of that doing is going to feel soul crushingly painful.
1: Sure. So you have those natural tendencies that are probably just innate to being my fabulous self. A hundred percent, probably. And and then you have, um, the ways that trauma is indistinguishable from ADHD in some ways. Yep. And then it becomes about not the label, but about understanding that functioning in certain ways is really depleting Mm -hmm. the difference between a, for me, where it crosses over is you got to, I mean, I was an, I was an OT major in college. It becomes very pragmatic, which works for me as an eight Mm -hmm. and is this impairing me? Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm resourceful as hell. I know how to set up systems and structures. If I were to flip my camera around, you would see on the door, on the wall next to the door to my apartment, hooks for keys, hooks for backpacks, hooks because otherwise I will spend two, three hours looking for the things that are right in front of me. So, but those things are persistent throughout a lifetime for me. Yeah, But absolutely. so is the trauma. So who really knows?
0: Yeah, and I just love using all these different models because it gives a little nuance and clarity to the incredibly
1: complicated thing that is you. And, right, and, and then, you're, you're doing the thing that I call pattern, 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 uh-huh. pattern, yeah. pattern. Yeah, yeah. To see, ooh, where's the most understanding or the most juice or the freshest perspective?
0: Yeah, because, you know, I thought I was an ENFP. In fact, that's what's on the introductory recording. And I've been taking a Jungian psychology class, and I'm pretty sure I'm actually an ENTP, which means that my secondary function would be introverted thinking. And that's why I love these patterns, because it helps me make sense of the world. Because when people show up, I have this deep, deep, deep belief that all humans are precious and everybody wants to contribute in a way that is (laughs) life-serving. And yet when you look around, you're like, wait, I know you're essentially good. Why are you doing something that to me appears to be bad? You know, and then getting curious about that as opposed to judging that human as dangerous or, well, they may be dangerous, but then what resources do I have to protect myself in front of that? And I'm gonna use an analogy that one of my other favorite teachers, Yvette Erasmus, uses, she's from South Africa. And South Africans, um, for fun on the weekend, go on safari a lot. And so they grow up in these trucks, like driving up to animals and looking at wild animals. And she talks about living this human life sort of like being on a safari. You go out into the savannah or wherever in Africa, and you approach a gazelle the same way you might approach a lion, you're going to get your head bitten off and you might Mm. not survive. Mm. So as humans navigating humanity, we have to be able to figure out which humans are gazelles and are just going to run away, not harm me. They're just sweet little things. And which ones are lions or tigers that if I step on one of their buttons, they might kill me. And how do I keep myself safe and how do I navigate in this world is something that really um, resonates with me. So I like pattern recognition because I actually think at the end of the day, it helps me to be safe and it helps me to have the types of connections that I want, but it also helps me to support people that are showing up in ways that I don't enjoy and gives me some strategies for how might I connect with that person so that they might get into their own blind spot
1: fascinating I would I don't know if it's a challenge you on this or an add to this or a suggest to this
0: it can be any of it
1: right right what was when you like you were talking about the patterning and safety and I think we know enough about Steve well Stephen Porges has given us enough work to understand that and I've seen Jonathan Haidt in that book uh, I can't remember the name of it he's anyway on morality we have an elephant and a rider Yeah. And the writer thinks it's in charge. Yeah. So it's, It's we think about things and then think we're deciding things or think we're spotting things, but actually our interoception has already mapped it because we're mammals. Yes. And then our smart brain comes on and says, now, I mean, if you use it consciously, you're verifying. If you know that sometimes your warning system is off, like a kid who was abused sexually. Yes. Yes. Then you learn to check yourself because yes. you could be very wrong. A hundred percent. To me, one of the myths of West of the Western mind is that we decide things or pattern things based on reason. We hundred percent. We justify our and, and as an eight, it feels different because I don't want to dismiss other things. Because it could be a feeling center thing too. I don't know. I don't understand enough about other people's internal realities but you know when you know because you're an animal you have to say i'm a mammal how did my mammals survive in the wild a
0: hundred percent
1: yeah and once you get that part you're like that's foundational mm. cognition prefrontal cortex came later way later so this is a lifelong argument for me like limbic function precedes cortical function and it always (laughs) will
0: You know what? Okay. You just so elegantly highlighted something that I think is really important. So let me, um, reflect back to you what I think, what I think I heard and tell me if I'm getting it, what you were hearing me do, which by the way, I'm actually exploring the fact that maybe I'm a six and not a three. That's the first time that's being said loudly on this podcast. And Uh, so go ahead. You
1: thinking it too? I I don't know enough about the, but I was like, the thing you just said, the awareness of danger thing or what could yeah, go yeah, yeah. wrong. I was yeah. like, is that sixy or oney or something? I mean, so,
0: okay. Well, first of all, I identify with having a one fix, which actually could just be my object relation to my point one mother who's a self-pressed dominant one, but we're going to, we're about to talk about instincts too. But before we get into instincts, which is what you're talking about, which is the body, which is the instinctual center, which is that like happening before we think kind of thing. Um, I just want to point out that you are a hundred percent right that, Let's just imagine for a moment that I am a six because I'm trying on three and six right now. And for anybody else out there who wonders about type, remember that three and six are connected by an arrow. So just like you can identify with certain 0.5 behaviors, I'm going to identify with certain 0.6 and nine behaviors, just like you're going to be strongly identified with five yeah. and two. Yeah so, yeah. yeah. so I'm working all of this out because one of the things is that I could be a Myers-Briggs thinking type in the Mm -hmm. heart center as a three, or I could be a head type that feels, you know, a feeling type in the head center or a thinking type in the heart center. So this is why it can be really confusing. And eventually I'll have more clarity. And for anybody else that's still playing with it, I think that this is how we use these tools is that we kind of try it on and see what does it help me to know about my own self-sabotaging behaviors, because I completely agree with you. What I think you are getting at was I was giving the impression that if my maps are good enough, I'll keep myself safe in the world by following maps. And what I think I heard you say that is very important is that my head center isn't what's going to keep me safe. It's my instinctual knowing from the body center that is probably taking in the information and giving me really important information before my head has time
1: to make thoughts. Is that what I was hearing? Well, and it's universally true that we make we, our, our animals come to conclusions before our minds even put right. their shoes on right. or brains, whatever.
0: And this is why some Enneagram teachers are starting with teaching about the instincts before we even go to type. And this whole podcast actually emerged out of talking about the instinctual blind spot. So when I talk about the instincts, do you know what the three instincts are and an idea of what your stack
1: is? Well, give me just one second because I want to make a comment that feels really germane. Um, go ahead, but hang on, it's over here, and I need it front and center. yep, um tap 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 Take your time. Can you say the last thing you said that might catch it?
0: Yeah, I know right i I don't know if I can. Let me try. <laughs> I think I was saying that, um, you know safety is a big thing for me. I don't know if it's because Mm -hmm. I'm a six or because I'm self preservation dominant. Um, And one of the ways that I try to be safe is to try to understand what's happening so that I can make predictions about what I might do in a future situation. And what I heard you wanting to correct, and I think it's really important that we say this, is that We can never make ourselves completely safe. Shit's going to happen. And we are never going to be able to think our way to safety or out of problems if we can actually more deeply connect with instinctual intelligence, which is the animal side of ourselves that lives in the belly and fires way before thoughts are even happening. And we're actually doing something before we can even go back and analyze it. That is really what's navigating us through the world does that right and
1: yeah and so I think I would the thing that I would follow up with that is one of the beautiful things about being a species that can Mm self-reflect means that we can begin to moderate our limbic responses yes with consciousness
0: yes so I bet you like mindfulness
1: any oh uh, why do people go to therapy? It's to make the unconscious conscious so you can choose.
0: Right, yes. That's all there
1: is to it. Like Oh, my God, I've, yeah. If I get hooked, I've lost the power of choice. One of the great gifts of being human is choosing. Mm. We're not driven solely by instincts right. anymore. I love we that. We used to be, and some people still are, and you can see them. They're wearing MAGA hats, right? They're being Their limbic systems are being hooked over and over and over and over again. They're yeah. animals right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and And some of them are wearing MAGA hats and some of them are wearing PETA hats and some of them are wearing a whole variety of hats. So I just want to make sure that we name that we can get locked in addictive views that sometimes they may appear incredibly nonviolent on the surface. But the way that people are manifesting their (laughs) passion is Mm -hmm. at the expense of other people's needs. And so
1: it, it contains viciousness. Yeah. So I would even so call you that. You can be a vicious. Yeah. Anything. So I, you know, I use that as an example because it is ubiquitous. I'm fine with you chopping it out. It's probably best. No, but I believe
0: it because I now think you it's You know really what important. I mean?
1: It's like there is a, a viciousness in attachment to a single view of reality. Yeah. You find it in pulpits. You find it in politics. You yeah. find it in team sports. You find it everywhere. everywhere. Because when you're uncertain, we all go to solid ground. We're animals.
0: Yes, I agree with you. And you (laughs) know what? An eight knows that. An eight knows that in their core. Whereas other types may have something in their structure that denies the animalistic side of themselves. Or they get mad.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know what? i got a brother-in-law that's an eight. And I told him that the things his brain, he thought his brain was doing, his brain ain't doing. Uh-huh. and he blew up at me so it's yeah. you can be a an eight and be blind to your very you know what i mean anyway okay so back to instinctual um i heard what you saying oh i was going to tell you my buddy Aaron, who introduced me to the enneagram yeah see when i tried to do the t- the test thing i showed up as a 7 a 2 a 4 yep yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, hey, I'm curious about this thing. I've yeah. never cared about this typology because I, I don't vibe with it. And he said, yeah. Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Now he is the dad of one of my daughter's classmates. And they okay. have been classmates since my daughter was two at pre-K. Okay. So Aaron saw me in my most asleep years. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. But anyway, he said, Chris, I think you're an eight, but what I'm going to do is ask you some simple questions. Mm-hmm. And when I ask you those questions, if you can answer them accurately, they only intersect in one type. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And I don't understand enough about how he approaches it or who he's studied with other than Chris Hewart's. Yep. Um, but I, he's doing a lot of somatic stuff now, I think. Anyway, he asked me a couple questions, and one of the uh, what I remember was... When something is happening, there's an emergency, there is whatever's happening, do you tend to go away from it, to freeze in it, or move toward it? And I'm like, Toward? Jesus. Okay. He's like, Okay. Yeah. And then he asked me one more question, and I can't for the life of me remember what it is. Uh And then he said, Chris, those two things you said only intersect in one place. Okay, That's an eight. (laughs) I would love to know what the
0: other question was, but I'm going to comment on the first one. So that moving towards, that is a very important question. And what that will tell you, though, so it, it could tell you you're an assertive type, that you're a three, a seven, or an eight. All three of those types will move towards. It also could mean that you're a counterphobic six because counterphobic six move into the fear. Whatever they're afraid of, they're going to attack because they're going to get it before it gets them. Nines, pretty universally withdraw. Ones, it depends if they have a nine wing or a two wing. The ones with a nine wing will hold their seat and then move in. The ones with the two wing get activated and will move in. Twos, once again, I think it depends upon the instinctual stack. A sexual two yeah. is going to move in. A self president two might sit. And a yeah. social could probably go either way. And now we're going to talk about four. Once again, it depends upon instinctual stack. The sexual instinct is what propels us to move in. Because if you think about sexual competition, if, you, if there's somebody there trying to get your mate, very few people are going to sit there and just be like, hmm. Just take them, you know, they'll have different strategies, sure. but, um, you know, a sexual four is being driven by that sexual instinct and they'll get angry and they'll fight. Whereas right. self-pres or social are going to have a higher likelihood of withdrawing. Fives yes. are going to withdraw. And that's, as we go around the wheel, how I think we can think about this behavior of do I move in or do I move back? So I'm just reviewing that for anybody listening. Oh, I remember to the podcast. what the second
1: question is. Oh, yay! What is it? Uh, he asked me uh, to put myself in the mind of just waking up in the morning. Okay. And did I first? And remember, these are that's the thing. You got to get as close to first as you can, yep. right? Yep. Was I inclined to think about my day? Mm-hmm. Notice how I'm feeling. Okay. Start the day. Okay. Baby, I'm out of bed. Coffee, coffee, let's do it. I'm clear and strong in the morning. I don't want to sit and think shit. I don't want to notice what I'm feeling. Uh In fact, when I learned that people had to know what they were feeling first thing in the morning, I was appalled. And I went to my two, three, four. I got a two, three, four. I had a friend. Two, three, four. I said, is this the truth? I'm not kidding you. You have to feel in the morning. Yeah, And they're like, well, yeah. And I'm like, oh, God, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: Well, I'm going to have to sit with that because, um, you know, I'm always taking in new data, which may mean I'm more head centered because I think in the morning what happens is that I used to just do because threes have this pattern of think, do, think, do, Mm -hmm. and we bypass the heart. So it kind of works with that. I It just depends. I don't love jumping right out of bed in the morning, honestly. I have discovered that that's when I do my body scan. I love waking up with a body connection practice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because, mm, you know what? I've noticed that when I just jump out of bed, it's like I'm actually not being kind to my nervous system. Like it's almost like taking me from like zero to 60. And you know, I'm a doctor with four kids and I've been a single mom, you know, divorced for a decade. And even when I was married, I had an ex that worked out of town all week. I, for survival purposes, had to learn how to get shit done Mm -hmm. and that was required that just leaping out and what that did was it really did keep me very disconnected from my heart and I was very task focused and I did not really cue into the relationships around me the way that I wished that I had so so much of my work now is about slowing down enough to be connected to my body and my heart because I know my head can get really spinny.
1: Yes. And the I think the spiritual or the transpersonal piece of that, because there is a transpersonal piece, mm-hmm. is that Gaia is calling us home. Like, yeah. like for our own survival and for any hope for this planet, yeah. we have to slow down enough to notice ourselves. 100%. We live in a culture that rec- that, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's destroying us. Yeah. But that's yeah. what end stage of any epoch does. Right. <laughs> and right. then a creative emergent has to happen, but the stakes Absolutely. are real high on the planetary level right now. You know what I mean? I do. So, so what do like, you think like, your instinctual stack is? I want to know. Oh, yeah, so I can't lay in bed and notice those things, but I get up out of bed uh-huh. and i give the dog a little love or the girl a little love, depending on what's happening. Yeah. I go straight to my coffee. Yeah. Which is a ritual experience it has been since I was ten years old. Okay, and then I sit down with my coffee, and I have learned to then check in. Okay, how fast yeah. is my? But they're learned behaviors. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. Or, yeah. or maybe not learned behaviors, but learned emer- allowed emergence as yeah. I've matured. Yeah, I have been convinced either by my own experience or by spiritual teachers that baby, you can't just headlong into the world that way. Mm. And, and so mindfulness and just getting into the sensory experience of something I love yeah, mm. is powerful. I mean, if you were to look around my house, you would see that I set it up with really aesthetics. Now yeah. I am a Libra, but, yeah. but the aesthetics have texture and feel and, and, and so they bring me into my body.
0: So that was a really fun part one of the conversation. I hope that everybody enjoyed it. One thing that was mentioned in this episode that we didn't round out was about the rejection types. So we talked about how type five does rejection, but we really didn't name how um, eights and two do rejection. So all of the rejection types are really showing up with about half of their personhood. There's a piece that they hold back in some way. And so we talked about how point five is really looking to connect with other humans through the knowledge that they contain. We'll see that point twos are looking to connect with others through relational qualities. And if they're not being met in relationship the way that they were expecting, that relationship can sort of be cut off. There can be a rejection quality to it. Um, eights do rejection in a slightly different way. It's more about what am I going to do for you? What is my purpose in this situation? And what is your purpose? There can be a bit of objectification in the structure. So you'll see that um, eights will sometimes do rejection by simply cutting off your influence on them. And there can be like an amputation that happens there. So for all of these types, part of their journey towards growth is to start presencing that rejection. And when rejection activates in the two, five, and eight, that's a great sign that something tender and vulnerable has been touched upon. And when these types can learn to turn inward and be with those more tender feelings. And even more importantly, start to express them to whoever it was that activated them so that they can start to learn to be held in relationship, be embraced in more of their full humanity. This is a beautiful thing to see and it's what leads the eight to the integration point of two where they can be one of the most big hearted points on the planet. It's what leaves twos to their integration point of four, where they learn to turn inward and know their own selves as opposed to being perpetually fixated on the other. And at what's allows fives to go to their integration point of eight, where they're not just staying in their heads, but they actually come into the body and experience life and relationships and all that it has to offer. So thank you for being a part of this conversation. And I hope that you tune in next week when Chris and I are going to dive back into the instincts, um, explain what self-preservation, social and sexual might look like and help Chris to unpack and get to a really beautiful illustration of how her structure as social self-pressed sexual seems to be showing up. So I look forward to seeing you next week. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.